Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, and they do not, or, or, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Last summer, while I was on sabbatical, um, I had time to read a book that I had been wanting to read for almost 15 years. It was a book that was originally published in 2008 called Planet Narnia by Michael Ward. It is one of the best books that I have read on uh, novels, uh, the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Michael Ward is a, is a C.S. Lewis scholar and his um, appropriately become a very famous book if you, if you study anything along those lines. If you're interested in Narnia, I would uh, strongly encourage you uh, to read this book uh, because what Michael Ward argues is that if you look back at the letters of C.S. Lewis, as he was writing the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and those other books that so many people have read, every once in a while, Lewis gave a hint that there was some kind of secret organizing pattern behind the Chronicles of Narnia, some kind of pattern or some kind of uh, grand plan for how he was constructing those books. But he never revealed what exactly he was doing. He never revealed what that pattern was. He, in fact, took it to his death, which was 50 years ago this year. And so it wasn't until about 35 years later that Michael Ward actually stumbled across what C.S. Lewis had actually been doing. Uh, what happened is, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, he was a scholar of medieval literature. He taught medieval literature at Oxford and Cambridge. And in the medieval literature world, uh, there were a lot of uh, poems and stories that were told that made a lot of use of these conceptions of the seven planets in the medieval mindset. They didn't have nine planets, they had seven. And two of those included the sun and the moon. Uh, but what Lewis was doing was he was taking sort of this medieval literary idea of the different planets, and he was weaving that through these different stories he was telling in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so if you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, you're really reading Lewis's retelling of the characteristics, the themes, the virtues, the vices, and, and even prominent colors that in medieval literature were, was associated with Jupiter. If you read Caspian, uh, you're reading a story that's told through the lens of a medieval understanding of the planet of Mars. Now, I, I'm not going to go into all of the ways that C.S. Lewis did this for each one of his books, 
But suffice it to say, this was a fascinating book that really opens up the understanding of those particular novels. I, I loved it, and again, I would encourage you to read this book if you're interested in, in, in Narnia and, and C.S. Lewis and those particular books. Now, what I want to point out that gets us into our sermon text today, the reason I'm telling you that story, is that it's, first of all, as, as I read that book, I was astounded so many times, and Michael Ward brings this out in this book, just how remarkable it was that C.S. Lewis just effortlessly connected those themes into a children's story. You're just reading a children's story, and, and you see that Lewis is just weaving these complex um, advanced literature ideas and themes into these children's stories, and it always remains a children's story. It, it, it's magnificent how he does this. The other thing that I find so interesting about that story is how remarkable it was that those themes, that secret organizing principle of the Chronicles of Narnia, remained hidden for, for over 30 years after Lewis's death. But the third thing that's so interesting about that book that I read last summer is that even after all of that, even if you don't ever read the book, even if you don't ever learn about this organizing principle behind the Chronicles of Narnia, you can still enjoy the Chronicles of Narnia in the way that millions of people have enjoyed them as they read them, as children's stories. You don't have to know this secret principle to really understand these particular books. But Jesus says that when it comes to his parables, Really children's stories about seeds and soils, uh, about a, a woman putting leaven into a, a yeast or into dough as she's leavening the dough. All of these stories about weeds growing up, new and old treasures, fish brought in with a net, these children's stories. If you are going to understand those stories, you do have to understand the secrets that Jesus is weaving into his stories. You can enjoy Chronicles of Narnia for what it is as a children's story, but you cannot understand what Jesus is getting at unless you understand the secrets that he is concealing within these very simple stories here. And what Jesus says is to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that he is talking about as he tells us these parables, the parable of the sower and everything else, is that you need to hear these stories by faith. Our big idea this morning is this, that faith reveals what God conceals. Faith reveals what God conceals. This is Jesus's passage where he is telling us what he is doing in these parables, and we're going to see three things that he talks about. Number one, kingdom secrets, that woven into these parables are kingdom secrets. Number two, dulled senses, dulled senses. Eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. Dulled senses. And then third, blessed sight. Blessed sight. For those who do have eyes to see what Jesus is talking about. So the first thing we're going to see here are kingdom secrets. In verse 10, we read that the disciples, after Jesus had told the parable of the sower, and we looked at that two weeks ago, Jesus after he told that parable, Jesus' disciples were puzzled by their master's methods. Now remember, a great crowd had gathered to hear Jesus. This was his chance to make his mark. This was his chance to convince the crowds of what he was trying to do and what he was trying to teach. And when he has this opportunity in his disciples' eyes, he seems to have squandered his opportunity. 
He just told simple children's stories about a sower sowing seeds in different soils and, and where these seeds grew up into different kinds of plants. Similarly, uh, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis's life, he was scorned for writing children's stories. Why would a scholar of, of his prowess write these children's stories? Uh, well, he was following the example of his master. Jesus, the one who uh, possesses all wisdom, nevertheless stooped to tell these simple stories, but his disciples want to understand why. Why would Jesus tell these stories? They ask him about his purposes and his intentions in telling these parables, and in verse 11, Jesus explains the reason. He answered them. He's speaking specifically to his disciples. Crowds had heard the parable, but now Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he answered them in verse 11 and says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, to the crowds, it has not been given. The word that Jesus uses here for secrets is the word that we get our word mystery from. Now, I say that, it's the word musteria, uh, but we don't have the same meaning when we think of mystery today as what Jesus meant by this word for mystery. Um, two New Testament scholars, uh, Benjamin Glad and um, G.K. Beale, um, describe the biblical concept of a mystery in this way. This is a word that appears in another language in the book of Daniel, and then it appears all over the New Testament. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not a whodunit, it's not an Agatha Christie novel sort of a thing. A mystery refers to the revelation, the uncovering, the revealing of God's partially hidden wisdom. So God's wisdom is proclaimed in the world. God is always working his wisdom openly throughout the world to some degree, and yet wherever he works, his wisdom is always partially concealed. It's always partially hidden, partially hidden from the eyes of people who want to understand what he is up to. And so, so often in the Bible, it's unclear why God is working in the way that he is working. And in the Bible, we at least have a few of the answers given to us along the way. We have uh, stories that stretch over centuries, and so sometimes we can see the resolution to those, even if we still don't know everything about the way the Bible works. But certainly this is true in our lives. God's wisdom in our lives doesn't always feel like it's on the right track. And what the Bible says is that God is always working all things together for the good of those who love him. This is God's wisdom, the things that come into your life. Even if not every individual thing is good, God is working all of it together for good according to his wisdom. But that wisdom... Because it is partially hidden, God speaks of it as a mystery. We cannot understand it. We cannot understand how everything fits together. We cannot understand where all of it is headed. And so what Jesus is saying is that he is using these children's stories, these parables, in part to reveal God's partially hidden wisdom. These parables are going to play a role in explaining to the world, including to us, what God is up to throughout history and as history moves towards its ultimate conclusion when Jesus Christ eventually returns. And so what Jesus says is, he says to you, to his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
What Jesus says by this is that not only are the parables going to be one of the major ways in which Jesus reveals the fullness of God's mystery, God's wisdom to the world, but this wisdom is something that is given. To understand what Jesus is up to here, to understand the secrets contained in these parables, is not going to be something that we can grasp by our personal intelligence, by our spiritual sensitivity, or by our personal righteousness, as though we were good enough to understand these things. Rather, these secrets are made known according to God's purposes in election. God gives understanding to some, but he does not give understanding to others. Now, why does God make a distinction? Why does God give to some and not to others? Well, again, this is part of God's infinite wisdom. This is part of the secret that we don't understand. But what Jesus says is, make no mistake, to some it is given, to others it is not. And then verse 13, or verse 12, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. These mysteries will be grasped only by those who have something. What's he talking about here? God's making a distinction. He's giving something to some and not to others. And only those who have this something will be able to understand these mysteries. And those who do not have whatever is being given here will not only not understand what Jesus is saying, but they will in fact lose what they do have. What's he talking about here? Well, what Jesus is making clear here, and what the rest of this uh, section of Jesus' teaching through these parables are going to make clear, is that he's talking about faith. The secrets that Jesus extends through the mystery of these parables can only be grasped by faith. Now, Jesus has said a lot so far. Let me just summarize real quickly what Jesus explained about his reason for using these parables. These parables communicate kingdom secrets according to God's election and by faith. Now, what's really interesting here is that the method of understanding these kingdom secrets by faith, as Jesus is explaining here, is so different from how we come to understand everything else in our lives. Um, let me illustrate this. Have you ever had a hunch about something? We use this word hunch, and it's kind of hard to define what exactly we mean by that. Uh, journalists talk about having a hunch, this uh, strong, compelling, intuitive sense that there's more than meets the eye in a particular story. And so on the basis of this hunch, a journalist might chase down leads, might pull records, might investigate, uh, might uh, ask people questions, interview people and ask them questions to try to get more information to see if there's really more than might meet the eye. And sometimes those hunches pay off. They lead to, underco- to uncovering something that has been hidden and now the journalist is able to reveal it. Or an entrepreneur might have a hunch that maybe the market is ready for a new product or a new surface. But it's really interesting the science about where those hunches Come from. If you talk to psychologists or neurologists, it's really interesting to read about this. They, they talk about the chemistry in our brains, how our brain synapses uh, might have a memory from this part of our lives and might have some thoughts that are over here. And sometimes our brain synapses connect and form different connections and different neural pathways in different ways. 
So that the stuff, the raw material that is already in your brain sometimes connects in unexpected ways that lead to hunches we have. These intuitive senses that we have arise from what is already there. Now, sometimes we might think that that's the way that faith works. I believe because of what's already there, because of the thoughts that I have thought at various different times in my lives, because the things that I have been taught, or because somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good, that because of that, I have faith. That's where my faith comes from. It's from something that's in me. But what Jesus is saying is the exact opposite of that. Faith does not arise because of something that is in you or in me. Faith is something that is given. It's given by God as a gracious gift. This is a part of our assurance of pardon today. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. This is a gift of God. The salvation we have and the faith that God uses to lay hold of the mystery of salvation through Jesus Christ comes as a gracious gift that God gives to some. And what Jesus here is using these parables to do is to communicate these kingdom secrets to those to whom God gives these secrets. Particularly to go to those to whom God gives these secrets by giving them faith to comprehend what Jesus is concealing in these parables. But just as Jesus is using parables to communicate, to reveal God's partially hidden wisdom, so Jesus is also using these parables for a secondary purpose. Particularly, Jesus uses these parables, these children's stories, to dull the spiritual senses of those who do not have faith, to those who reject him rather than believing in him. This brings us to the second part of Jesus' explanation of why he is teaching us in parables, the section that I'm titling Dulled Senses. Look at what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Now stop right there for a moment. Notice what Jesus says, this is why. Um, You might translate this as, on account of this, I am speaking to them in parables. And I translate that really roughly and literally because I want to show you the connection back to Jesus' original question back in verse 10. In our Bibles, it simply is, why do you speak to them in parables? But really, literally, the question there is, on account of what do you speak to them in parables? And now Jesus is answering that question directly, on account of this, I am speaking to them in parables. This is the answer to the question that they posed earlier. This is why, on account of this, I speak to them in parables. Why? Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. What Jesus is saying is that his parables hide the secrets of the kingdom. They hide the truth of the gospel of the kingdom in plain sight. You know, going back, one of the reasons I found this book about C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia so fascinating is because I have read the Chronicles of Narnia so many times in my life. Um, I also have a, a copy of the, the Focus on the Family radio drama production of the Chronicles of Narnia, and I've listened to that more times than I can count. And yet, there were so many things that were hidden in plain sight. 
Again, the colors woven into these, the themes, the, the, the trajectories of the plots. C.S. Lewis was brilliant in what he was doing to weave all of those themes into his book, but all of the evidence was hidden in plain sight until someone smart like Michael Ward came along to discover it. We hear Jesus saying it isn't who's smart and who is not. He's saying this is a matter of spiritual perceptiveness. Spiritually, they, they look with their eyes, but they don't see what they are seeing. They listen with their ears, but they don't hear what is being communicated. It's because even though their physical senses might be working, their eyes can see, their ears can hear, spiritually, they do not have the faith to perceive what is being communicated through these parables. These parables dull their spiritual senses. But not only do they hide the truth in plain sight from the physical senses, they dull the senses from spiritually hearing and, uh, and, and seeing and understanding anything. Now, I want you to uh, think with me through a thought experiment here. If I were to say this, what would you do? Oh, I saw a bunch of you do it. I said something that you couldn't hear, and I heard a bunch of you look back or lean forward because you were straining to hear what I just mumbled under my breath. That's what we naturally do, right? When we can't hear something, what do we do? We cup our ears, we lean forward, we maybe turn down the music or sound somewhere else. When we can't see, we squint our eyes. We might try to maybe block where there's a lot of light coming because it's keeping us from seeing something. We have a lot of ways of straining with our senses to try to hear better than we can hear or to try to see better than we can hear or see. But what Jesus says is that the way the parables work is they actually dull people's hearts from straining to perceive the truths that are contained in them. And so Jesus goes on in verse 14 and says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, or fat is the word. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now, do you know where this passage comes from? It's from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has just come into the throne room of God. And the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And the train of his robe is filling everything. And he's hearing seraphim, flaming creatures, declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And Isaiah hears then a voice from the Lord. After he himself is purified, he recognizes that he's an unclean a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. An angel takes a burning coal from the altar and applies it to his lips, symbolic of the atoning sacrifice that God provides for his people through Jesus Christ. And because of that, his sins are atoned for. But after that point, Isaiah hears God asking a question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Well, immediately after that, God does send Isaiah and he gives them this message. This is the mission that Isaiah is assigned. It's to preach, not to bring about great, powerful, visible revival, 
but to preach in such a way that will harden the hearts of the people who hear. God's people have persistently disobeyed for so long that now God is going to send a messenger not to bring them back to repentance, but to further harden their heart in disbelief and sin as they hear God's prophet preaching to them. No longer would these people strain to see. No longer would they cup their ears to hear what God says or try to understand. Their hearts would be dull and fat, and they would be quite content about it, all the way toward the judgment that God had appointed for them. You know, I remember when my grandmother's hearing got very bad late in her life. You know, when when I was very young, Grandma never had a problem hearing me. But I remember after a time, at a certain point in my life, she started to ask, now, now, what was that? Could you say that again? Could you repeat it? I didn't quite hear you. And as her hearing got worse and worse and worse, whether it was from lack of confidence or maybe because she didn't hear it in the first place, she stopped asking those questions. And there was a certain point in time where her hearing was just so bad that she just smiled. No matter what you'd say, she'd just smile and nod, and she had no idea what was happening. I think she, she wasn't that she was happy not to hear what was going on around her. It's that she was resigned to it. There was nothing you could do anymore. Your hearing had just gotten so bad. And in some way, Jesus is saying, this is like what happens spiritually for people. They hear less and less spiritually. They see fewer and fewer spiritual things, but no longer do they strain to understand. But the big difference between the sinfulness of the people that are prophesied about in this passage and my grandmother is that for my grandmother, it wasn't desired. It wasn't willful. She wasn't trying to tune us out. She was resigned to the reality of the situation. What Jesus is talking about here, though, is a kind of sin that is so deceptive that people become contented with it. They don't want to hear anymore. They're fine not hearing anything further, not seeing anything further. Their senses have become so dulled to their sin that they don't even worry about it. And this itself comes as a judgment against sin. But remember, as Jesus is talking here about the reality that is setting in, in the hardening, in the dulling, in the deafening of people by these parables, remember what he said originally. Originally he said, these will also be to reveal the truths, the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to those who do have faith. And so in this final section, Jesus talks about those who believe, those to whom God gives faith to lay hold of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And in the third third section, we'll call this blessed sight. Jesus talks about the blessedness of eyes that spiritually discern and ears that spiritually hear and hearts that spiritually are transformed to understand what God has given us in the gospel of, of his son, Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, Jesus turns to his disciples and saying, even though they will not hear, even though they do not hear, will not hear. He says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Against the backdrop of those who experience this judgment of dulled senses, the gospel shines brightly to those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Blessed are your senses. You see, you hear. That is, they listen to Jesus. They hear him. 
They believe in what he is saying. It's not only that they see or hear Jesus in the flesh, although that's part of it. Because again, Jesus is contrasting others who did see Jesus. He's contrasting against the crowds who listened to Jesus speaking, but his parables dulled their spiritual senses so that they did not really see, they did not really hear what he was saying. But the disciples, on the other hand, perceive spiritual truths. They don't just hear children's stories. They're learning something about Jesus from these parables. That Jesus is the son of David, the king, Israel's long-awaited Messiah. That Jesus is true God, the Son of God in the flesh. That he speaks here the words of eternal life. And that by faith in him, his disciples are coming to understand that they will find eternal blessedness with God forever. But even so, we should remember that there were people in the Old Testament who did believe. Even before Jesus came, there were people who were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and they looked forward to that day with faith. But Jesus says his disciples did have a blessedness that even those Old Testament believers did not have. In verse 17, he says, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed. This is one of the, first, one of the few places in the New Testament where the word for desire this is the word that's sometimes translated covetousness or uh, sometimes lust. Uh, it's a word that simply means desire. This is one of the few places where desire is spoken of in a positive sense. But Jesus says, many people longed, desired greatly to see what you see and did not see it. They wanted, they longed, they coveted to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. Think about the fact that this includes even Isaiah. Isaiah was in the throne room of God, saw the train of the robe of God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, filling the temple. And yet what Jesus is saying is that Isaiah longed to see what the disciples were seeing. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, given for the salvation of his people. Isaiah did not have so clear a vision of the glory of God as the disciples did, gazing on the face of Jesus Christ. But even so, even the disciples didn't understand what they were seeing. Not fully. They understood it in part. They believed that Jesus was the one they needed to listen to. But they did not understand many of the things that he was saying to them. At least not yet. They believed, but even some things Jesus kept concealed from them. They truly believed on Jesus, but many of the things that Jesus would instruct them and they had to wait until after the resurrection, until after the ascension, until after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Which means that today you and I have something that the disciples at this moment in history did not have. We have a completed Bible. We have the Word of God that fully puts before our eyes who Jesus is. And whereas they couldn't go back and, now what did Jesus say earlier that day? Let's read again his words. We do have that. We can go back and pour over his words. Our eyes can gaze upon the glory of Jesus that is held out to us spiritually by his word and held out to us in the sacraments that we experience. Jesus has given these things to guide us, to teach us. 
For the blessed are our eyes, for they see, and our ears, for they hear the voice of Jesus speaking by his Holy Spirit through his word today. But still today, this spiritual vision of the glory of Jesus Christ remains hidden in plain sight. You know, while no one found C.S. Lewis's secret in the Narnia books for 40 years, it's indisputable that secret is now revealed. Anyone can just read Michael Ward's book and you will have a hard time arguing against his conclusions. But Jesus' secrets have been published now for 2,000 years. And with every new generation, there are still those who hear this word and do not believe. The secrets remain hidden from their eyes, concealed from their ears. Their hearts become dull. They do not believe or understand. The question we have is not about what Jesus was talking uniquely about concerning his age. The question we have to think about is how should we respond as what Jesus said absolutely applies the way that we hear his voice today. Our application then is that we must walk by faith and not by sight. We must walk by faith and not by sight. That's what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Again, faith reveals what God conceals. We cannot perceive the secrets of the kingdom of heaven on our own. Our normal physical senses that help us to understand so many things in this physical world are useless to understand spiritual things. The Apostle Paul writes about this further in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. He says, the natural person, the person who relies on his or her physical senses, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You and I could stare endlessly at the pages of Scripture. You and I could listen to endless sermons. But apart from a spiritual sense that we depend upon God to give to us by the gift of faith, our best efforts will come to nothing. We won't get it. We'll be constantly grasping and groping around in the dark without coming to an understanding of the truth. Are you resisting faith this morning then because you don't see the evidence? Because you have not heard an argument that resolves all of your concerns? Jesus is warning you. Hear his voice. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been published openly in the frail form of children's stories, these parables. The reason you are not seeing them yet is not because there is a problem in the vehicle of communicating these through these parables. The reason is because of your unbelief. They've been hidden, but they've been hidden in plain sight before you. You need eyes to see. You need ears to hear. You need a heart to understand by faith all that is contained in the gospel of Jesus as he communicates it to us. So I want to encourage you to ask God for this gift. What do you need? Well, first of all, you need God's Holy Spirit to reveal to you these secrets of God's wisdom. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. There's that word mystery or secret. 
the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. God has always been about the work of building his kingdom. Jesus came late in time, in the fullness of time. The king to finally reveal what everything written before him had been about. And what will still be our hope and the blessedness of our faith from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus and the kingdom he is building. Jesus has always been the hope of God's people. But it's been a wisdom that God has hidden. He predestined it before the ages, but it is a hidden wisdom. How then do we get at this hidden wisdom? Well, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11 says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to understand these spiritual things Jesus is talking about. What we need then is for the Holy Spirit to give us faith. He alone, the Holy Spirit alone can convict you of your sin, show you your need of Jesus. He alone, the Holy Spirit alone, teaches you to pray, asking for forgiveness and salvation. He alone, the Holy Spirit alone, takes the shed blood of Jesus Christ sent into the world to give up his life for the salvation of many. And the Holy Spirit takes that shed blood of Jesus and sprinkles it upon us, sprinkling clean and pure water on us by his spiritual ministry through faith. It's he alone, the Spirit alone, who removes the hard hearts of stone that are in us by nature and instead gives us a soft heart of flesh to believe what Jesus holds out in the gospel. And the Spirit alone is the one who fills our hearts with the love of the Father and the Son. The Spirit alone illuminates the Word of God, renewing our minds, transforming our minds by the gospel. He alone gives us spiritual sight to see Jesus And he alone conforms us to the same glorious image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need to ask for the Spirit to be poured out among us, to fill us up so that we can have the faith to lay hold of the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But finally, this isn't a one-time thing. It's not as though we just need to at some point come to grasp all of this and then our lives are fine. We've got our get out of hell free card and we can move on with our lives. We continue to need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray continually that the Holy Spirit will continue to fill us so that we might grow up into maturity, into the fullness of the stature that God has set out for us. Jesus says in verse 12, to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. That's a promise for every believer. If you have been given faith by God, God intends to use that faith to give you greater understanding also by the faith that he gives you so that you may grow into more understanding, more insight, and more grasp of the spiritual truths of the kingdom that Jesus is teaching here. Because this is a spiritual gift, again, this is something to pray for. Wouldn't you pray that you would come to know Christ by faith through the Holy Spirit? Would you pray, this is one of my prayers every single week for Harvest, that we would be increasingly conformed to the image of Christ, by Christ's word and by Christ's spirit. 
understand Jesus is giving us here profound truths. These are not just children's stories for the nursery, although children can understand these things. These are things that God gives to us through the mouth of Jesus Christ, recorded in the pages of Scripture by the Holy Spirit who brings these things to life in our hearts so that we may lay hold of the truths. Brothers and sisters, pray that God might give you insights, not just to read dead words on a page, not just to appreciate fun stories about seeds, but to know Jesus Christ crucified, whom the Father sent for our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would know the King and that we would know his kingdom. We pray that you would give us Jesus Christ and him crucified, and we pray that through Christ we would have salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.